0: Sometimes when I'm, I'm preaching, I, I like to start off by saying, I'm talking about my favorite thing today. That's not strictly true today, supple though I am, uh, because I'm looking at a subject that you might think, hang on, this is a bit of a strange thing to focus on, but you'll see why in a minute. So the subject is, is it okay for Christians to do yoga or, or meditate? Uh, I am unbelievably, you'll be shocked, I am a grandparent and you're thinking, wow, how can someone so young reach such a revered status? But it is true and my daughter has got two boys who were adopted at the ages of three and four and have always been lively, because boys are lively, aren't they? Aren't boys great? I was going to say so less problematic than girls, but it's different problems, isn't it? Uh, but anyway. <laughs> and in the early days, one, one of the things that Beth did, which I found, quite frankly, astounding, was she found on YouTube this, this children's yoga thing, which basically, if I'm honest, was getting children to stand still. That was the basic gist. It was to get two boys to stand still and then to stand still in a number of different positions to enable mum to get about 15 minutes time to be able to get dressed. That that was basically the goal. The goal was to get two boys to stand still, stop doing stuff, stop pulling things off the wall, stop. And it kind of worked, but I got the impression that it wasn't actually the full picture of what Yoga was. So, when I was going to do this, I thought I'll mention it as an illustration, but I'm not going to draw a conclusion from that particular item. I don't think the Star Wars yoga YouTube video actually gives us the, the full picture. I'm going to start with the scripture. I want us to see that the Bible is the lens through which we get a better understanding of a word, world that can be quite complicated and can sometimes cause us to make wrong decisions. And I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the first 13 verses. Now, about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up, while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods with a small g and many lords with a small l, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin... I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. I bet you're all thinking, I can see the direct link between yoga, YouTube, and this picture, can't you? No. If you can, I'd be a little bit worried. This picture is a picture of a first century marketplace. And in a lot of cities in the Roman Empire as well as a Jewish community with a really strong understanding that there is one God. They really knew there was only one God. He made heaven and earth. All the other so-called gods are false. As well as that community, in each city or each urban area, there would have been a wider population who didn't have that same understanding, who were used to a world in which there were a multitude of different gods to cover different situations, to cover different places. Some of them would have worshipped one, some would have worshipped another. So there would have been a lot of different views. And in the marketplace, because there were temples in each of the different towns and cities, there would be stores where meat was sold because a part of most temple rituals involved making sacrifices. So when the meat was sacrificed, it would then be passed out to the market to be sold i don't know if they sold it cheap i don't know depending on which temple it came from i don't know Uh, but it was being sold so people would go and and buy the meat now the argument paul is using here is we know that there's only one god therefore it doesn't really matter if you eat a bit of this meat that's been sacrificed to an idol because it's not a real god that's been sacrificed it's just a statue It's got no real power. However, for someone who has that knowledge and understanding to then go out and boldly buy that bit of meat, not caring where it's come from, because in their heart they know it can't do me any harm because I serve the risen saviour. I serve the one God. So this is going to have no impact on me at all. Does that in front of someone else who maybe is just on the point of coming to know christ or maybe they're just a brand new christian and in their minds they still see this array of different gods and in their minds they understand them to have some kind of power and influence and so they're encouraged to do stuff not out of faith but out of assumption and presumption that actually There's no significance, there's no importance to these things. I can do what I want because I don't need to be wise, I don't need to be mindful. I can go my own way and make my own decisions according to what I want to do. There are lots of things in life that are neutral. They don't really, going for a walk in the sunshine is a kind of a neutral thing, isn't it? It's not going to do you any harm, it's not good, it's not bad, but it's not going to do you any harm. There are some things in life That are overtly wrong We know that the Bible gives us Specific commandments and tells us I won't use the Extremes, I'll use the more common ones We know that lying is wrong To tell a lie is wrong It's never a right thing It's never a good thing It is what it is And there are some things then That are neutral But can become wrong and this is the area that we're going to be touching on this morning. So, keeping that biblical lens in mind, that way of looking at things, it says, is it clearly wrong in the Bible? Then I should avoid it. And secondly, if it's something that if I practice it, it might cause harm to someone around me because of my example. Those are two reasons not to do something. Does that, does that kind of make sense? You can see the logical steps with that. So, so far, the answer to the question, is it okay for Christians to do yoga or meditate, you can see we're veering towards the no, aren't we? Just to, I like to be logical and, and clear. To help us understand a little bit more, I thought i 'd do a little bit of a, a little bit of research about what yoga is in the modern society context. We probably think of exercises don 't we think of stretching we think of getting yourself into impossible positions, possibly dislocating something, possibly needing some kind of physiotherapy afterwards to recover from it. If you're younger and more flexible, you're kind of like standing on your head and balancing against the walls and all them kind of things. We have an idea of yoga as physical exercise with beneficial stretching and so on, breathing control, all about the physical self control of the body. And a lot of those things are neutral things, aren't they? Exercise, it's not a harmful thing necessarily. But there are other aspects to, to yoga. It's been around a while. So what I thought I'd do is just dip into, isn't the internet great? Isn't, isn't Google like just amazing, isn't it? You know, I've said this before, but the previous Google equivalent, equivalents that I grew up with, the library, uh, wasn't as quick. And sometimes you go into the library And you won't get the answers that you you require. I probably told the story when I used to work in the job centre in London many, many years ago, 1985, and we had a debate. Are reptiles warm-blooded or cold-blooded? Obviously, I knew that they were cold-blooded because I'm intelligent. (laughs) My colleagues, they weren't so sure. And the argument raged on. And it was one of these funny arguments. It started with two people, and it spread around the office, and everyone is putting their opinion in. So we didn't have Google because we didn't have the internet or phones that weren't connected to a wire and a phone box. And so someone said, ring the library. So I rang the library And sometimes it's not just Google that gets things wrong. I rang the library and I said, can you just tell me, uh, are reptiles warm-blooded or cold-blooded? We're having a bit of an office debate and I could hear these voices going back. It was the same argument. I thought, they're saying the same things we're saying here. And the man came back to the phone and said, I'm really sorry. He said, "We we don't know. So I said, well, can you not look it up in one of the books? And the man said, no, I can't. This is a garage. Always make sure you ring the right number when you ring the library. So anyway, I didn't go to the library. I went to Google. And uh, these are some things, first of all, from some websites, local websites. Uh, The first one is Sue Watson. These aren't famous people, by the way. But just so you know that I didn't just make up this stuff. It is all proper, legitimate information. Uh, For me, yoga and mindfulness offer simple techniques and exercises for connecting the mind to the body. It can he- help people to cope with stresses and strains of everyday life and can totally revitalize the body and mind. Yoga is for all ages and abilities, providing a, calm, a calming and soothing influence and helping to develop and improve powers of concentration and sense of relaxation and well-being. That, that's Sue. She's a yoga teacher, so obviously she's not independent in her opinions about yoga. This is Gabby Burns, who teaches at the, at the yoga rooms, Wirral. Again, you know, just so you know, it's all, it's all local. My belief, what, what I embody and teach earnestly, is to teach that we must find our own truth. The teachings of yoga are tools to guide us on our unique journey. And I see it as imperative that we become our own teachers as honestly as we can. Self-inquiry is of utmost importance and the yoga practices aid the depth of our ability to endlessly question with compassionate acceptance and without judgment or attachment to the answers we find. For yoga for me has become the art of observation, a method to release us from the madness of the mind. So you're getting a picture here, aren't you, that yoga isn't just an exercise. There's a lot more to it according to the people that teach it and encourage us to want to do it. But I'm very thorough. And I thought, you know, you can look at what people are saying nowadays. Let's look a little bit. Everyone likes a bit of history, don't they? Everyone likes history with dates and complicated names. History wouldn't be the same without unpronounceable uh, authoritative sources. So uh, I'm going to attempt probably to offend lots of people by my mispronunciation. Uh, Right. I've actually picked a name that has even got letters that don't look like letters. Oh, it's got a phonetic spelling, right? A fourth-century source, it's a Buddhist work, the Sravanka Abhumi. I think I'm close. Yoga is fourfold faith, aspiration, perseverance, and means. The Bhagavad Gita, which is a Hindu writing thing, I'm I'm a little bit more familiar with that. Yoga is said to be equanimity, yoga is skill in action. Know that which is called yoga to be separation from contact with suffering. More recently, also the fourth century. Pleasure and suffering arise as a result of the drawing together of our sense organs when that does not happen because the mind is in the self. There is no pleasure or suffering for one who is embodied. That is yoga. I don't expect you to learn all these. I'm not going to test you on them or anything. It's not like that's not the important side of it. The point I'm making is that yoga is a part of a lifestyle that teaches ways of dealing with the problems of life. And all those ways are self led. There's no room for God and no room for the rule of Christ in that lifestyle. So, the reason I'm giving you that insight into it is that sometimes nowadays it's presented just as exercise. Do it and relax, do it and get calm in your mind. Do it and find a peaceful way of dealing with your stresses and strains and so on. But we need to understand that it comes from a background where there's much more to it than just exercise. So we need to be a little bit wise in whether we decide to do things like that ourselves and certainly if we would encourage other people to do the same thing. Is that that logical again so far? Interestingly, and I can thank Pastor Greg for this, he actually added to my sources, not only have I gone internet, but he actually messaged me from his paper, the Times, he put that in my, my paper in brackets, the Times, uh, there was a survey that's just been completed, and apparently it's the first one of its kind, and they found, let get the right percentages, uh, they interviewed 1,232 regular meditators. And I'll come back to why we're moving on to meditation in a minute. Uh, and they found that, oh, where is it, one in four of the people who practice these types of meditation, actually, rather than becoming calmer and more at peace, became more anxious and more stressed. Now, that's something I never heard of before. I'd always made the assumption that these things calm you down, the breathing exercises, the stretching, leading into meditation – you kind of have this picture, don't you, of people very serene and very calm, with their legs crossed on a mat, in the sunshine next to a pool, that kind of thing. And you always imagine they're a lot, co- but actually, we need to say it doesn't always do what it says on the tin. That's my introduction to uh, to, to yoga. I was, I did say to Leslie, uh, should I demonstrate stuff, and she said no because. We don't know how many doctors are going to be there. It's scattered Sunday morning. You would need medical assistance afterwards, so possibly traction. So uh, best not do that. So I'm not doing it uh, just as well for many reasons. So yoga does include simple physical exercises, but also has that significant spiritual aspect to it as well which leads on to this concept of meditation. So the first part of the question, should Christians do yoga? I would say, in my opinion, that the answer is probably no. There are other stretching exercises you can do if you need to stretch, but it's something that we would look at ourselves and look at the context and look at where we're doing it. A yoga class in a local sports center is very different from a yoga class at the Buddhist center in, in Oxton. So. You have to use wisdom, but the two things to think of are, one, the spiritual effect on me doing it, two, the spiritual effect on other people who might know that I do it and then be emboldened to do the same things themselves. Because if I go to my local leisure center and do an exercise class that is based around yoga and someone else sees me do it and thinks, oh, Pastor Nick's doing yoga, I'll go and do yoga, and the nearest place to me to do it is the Buddhist retreat center, I'll go and do it there. So you can see it again, just using logic, it's important to think of ourselves, but using that passage from Corinthians to think of the impacts upon others as well, if we do something. Meditation. I always want to sing a little song when I say meditation, but then I realize I'm thinking of record breakers, Do you remember that, Roy Castle? And it's actually the song. It's actually dedication, not meditation. So it's not helpful at all. Do you remember the song now? Leave that one with you, okay? Because it's a nice little tune to have in your head. So if if your mind's drifting off a little bit, then maybe you want to sing that song in your head. Meditation. The practice of yoga ties very, in, very much in with, with meditation because the physical exercise is all about bringing your body under control to enable you to focus your mind. So the breathing exercises that you do and so on, it's getting your pulse rate down, it's all about getting a focus. However, the meditation that we are encouraged incredibly strongly to practice As a part of our normal lifestyle is very, very different from that. So it contrasts, it's the same word, but actually it could be two completely different things it's talking about. On the one hand, meditation is emptying your mind of worries, concerns, and everything, and distancing yourself from what's going on so that you can get a kind of a neutrality. That's the one hand. On the other hand, meditation is not about emptying, but about focusing and connecting. So rather than disconnecting and switching off, it's about connecting and being incredibly, fully, and magnificently switched on to God. So I thought I'd give a couple of simple tips Regarding meditation. Tip number one, and these are very simple. Who likes simple things? Yeah, yeah. okay, excellent. That's on only hands up I've done, isn't it? I've only done one hands up today. Uh, who likes ice cream? Just thought I'd throw a few in. It's nothing to do with anything. I just thought I'd throw it in as an extra. Uh, there's three of these. <laughs> Tip number one. Focus on Christ. Not focusing on yourself. Not focusing on, am I relaxed? Does anyone else, when you sit there and you're you're tense and you say, right, I'm going to try and relax now. Relax, relax. Now, that might work for some people. I find that makes me very tense, trying to relax. It's a weird thing, isn't it? I'm going to to sit here and stop being stressed. Stop stressing, stop stressing, stop stressing. That really doesn't work. Simple tip number one. Focus on Christ. A few scriptures. One Chronicles sixteen, eleven. Look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face always. Dead clear. I, I like clear things and I like simple things. Psalm twenty-seven, verse eight. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. This is where meditation takes you. Meditation actually is a big word for seeking God it's intertwined and inseparable from prayer but it's all about well you'll see encountering Psalm 105 verse 4 look to the Lord and his strength seek his face always which is identical to the other one which means that I've cut and paste the wrong quote into one of those so your task this week is to look up those two Bible verses and see which one of them isn't looked to the Lord in the strength seeker's face always, okay? So I'll check with you all afterwards, just remembering who you all are, and I'll make sure you've done that homework before next week. Tip number two. Yeah, that was a deliberate error. (laughs) I should have said that first, shouldn't I? It would have looked much better. Tip number two. Experience... His presence. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a general rule of life, but it's also an actual experience that God has for us. He expects us to be able through connecting with him, to be filled with joy and peace, to overflow with hope. Not because of our circumstances, because often our circumstances will not be joyful. Sometimes we will be in situations where it it leads us more towards despair than hope. So what God says is, seek my face and let me overflow you with hope. Come into my presence. Seeking God sometimes seems complicated, but often is very, very simple. I have a spare room. It's not really a spare room. I like to call it my office. Leslie likes to call it the junk room. Different perception of the same reality. And I've got loads of stuff Scattered around on shelves in in places where I know where it all is until I need to find it and then it's not there. But there's a space on the floor, and I have a mat. I was going to bring it like a visual aid, but I thought that's a bit silly. You don't, you're intelligent people. You don't need visual aids, do you? So I, I unroll the mat, and I kneel on the mat, and I pray. And normally speaking, at some point in that time of prayer. I'm saying something like, God, please touch me with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, encourage me. Help me to understand what's happening here. I don't, I don't know what to do next. Or I've got a decision to make. Lord, there are two choices here. I need you to show me the way. And more and more often, putting aside all those things, Lord, I just need you to do something in me today. I don't even know what. Just do in me what you know that I need. That's simple, isn't it? You, you've, you've experienced the depths of my spirituality there. That's as deep as I get. I'm simple. But when you know what you need, all you need to do then is ask. There's no, there's no complicated process to go to. Seek the Lord Seek his strength. It's as simple as that. And that is how you seek the Lord. So, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God, you are not your own. I've stopped it there. I like the next bit, but I've stopped it there. Otherwise, it would have gone on all day. The idea that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that God in his amazing wisdom, has planned to be in. God has planned to meet with you. It's God's will that you encounter him. This is what he's made us for. Jude 1.20. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, I've picked these scriptures out because they speak of experiencing and encountering God. And that's where meditation takes you. Yes, you will hear from God. Yes, you might have understanding of something you didn't understand before. But whatever happens when you meditate on the Lord, you encounter and experience the living God Which is the difference between religion and relationship. And it's there for you every day, 24 hours a day. Whenever you have the need, whenever you have a a situation or not, that awaits you because it's God's will for you. All of God's plan was to draw people into relationship with him. This is the open door for us. Focus on Christ, experience God, learn his word, and speak it out. Favourite scripture, I won't sing it, Psalm 119 verse 11, I have hidden your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. I actually had to read that, I don't know why, because I think I've sang it for about 30 years, to children, but that's because it's so important and so true. Acts 4:29 strange one but I th- now lord consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness do you remember the account when the apostles were being persecuted and their reaction to threats to stop speaking out the word of god was to pray that god would give them boldness to speak more you have to have it in though to be able to give it out if you've got a dry sponge doesn't matter how hard you squeeze it, you're not going to be able to wash your face with the water on that sponge because it's dry. If the sponge is wet and full of water, when you squeeze it, it'll go down your sleeve as well as going on your face. So what you've got in is what comes out when you get squeezed. If God's word is learned and in you, when you get squeezed, God's word comes out. That that makes sense, simple, isn't it? Recently I've had all kinds of stuff going on not particularly difficult some good some bad as as life often is and God helped me to experience him more by putting scriptures and saying these are what this is the one you need to be learning and speaking with me through back to the little picture of me in my room the little picture the big picture of me in my room kneeling down on my little mat And sometimes you just need to speak out the word of God. So when you're meditating, to help you in your focus upon Christ, and to help you experience God in that moment there and then, sometimes knowing the word of God is the way that God wants you to communicate with him. He gives you his word, puts it in your heart, stirs you up with it, you learn it, and then you speak it back to him, and it kind of connects helps connection psalm 27 the first four verses is how god has prompted me and this is a i'm not telling you all need to learn this obviously this was how god prompted me and got me to connect with him freshly the lord is my light and my salvation whom shall i fear the lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall i be afraid if the wicked advance against me To devour me is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an enemy besiege me, I will not be afraid. Though war break out against me, I will remain confident. One thing I seek, this I ask, O Lord. And this is where I need to check to make sure I get it right, because I don't want to lead you astray again. Uh, That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. You know, when you pray those words back to God, understanding that God has given us those words to be words of truth, the connection is reignited. It's not that I didn't know that God is great. You can't read the Bible and not know that God is great. But when it's a personal word and God prompts you with it and then says, pray it back to me, repeat it back, you know in your spirit that reignition that God really is great. And he's not just great generally for all the earth. He's great for me. And you need, we need to know that, don't we? We need to be reminded, we need to understand that God is great for us. God is great in the things that we face. God is great in the place where he has put us. And God is great in the situations that seem totally irreversible, but to God, they are a small thing. And our enemies will stumble and fall focus on Christ expect to encounter and experience God and communicate with him learn and speak out his word because what is in us will be squeezed out of us when the time is right meditation needs time we need to be deliberate, we need to plan it We need to say, Lord, I'm setting aside this time for you That's, that's a question of our prioritising and timetabling A lot of the time, when Jesus encountered people In the way that I'm describing He broke into their day Luke chapter 5 This is the final scripture story I'm going to touch on answered master we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything but because you say so I will let down the nets when they had done so they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break so they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink when Simon Peter saw this he fell at Jesus' knees and said go away from me Lord I am a sinful man he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken and so were James and John the sons of Zebedee Simon's partners then Jesus said to Simon don't be afraid from now on you will fish for people so they pulled their boats up on shore left everything and followed him towards the end of that same chapter it's noted that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. The reason I mention the story, and I mention that, is that this gives us a picture of how God wants to break into our lives. We don't decide when that happens. Peter had no idea, I guess, that Jesus was going to turn up on the lakeside. But he remained kind of connected. He stayed there. Something was happening in his heart. He heard, he listened, and he stayed there. Then, Jesus came closer to him and challenged him. He said, now, I'm going to use your boat. Peter said, okay. He stayed there. Then, When the ministry to all the people had finished, Jesus said, Go out. I'm pushing you a little bit further now, Peter. Throw your net over the side again. I'm going to ask you to do something that in your logic makes no sense. I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. I'm going to ask you and challenge you to go beyond the norm. And Peter says, Okay, Lord, because you say so, even though it makes no sense. Even though we know that it's not going to work, because you say so, I'm going to do it. And so Peter does it. And in that instant, in that and obe- in that surrender, he suddenly realizes that this isn't just a good man, a good teacher, but this is someone of such holiness that the reaction of this man who knows there's only one God is to drop down on his knees in an act of surrender and worship and then to recognize his own shortcomings. Lord, I'm a sinful man. I'm fearful of being so close to you because you are so holy. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to be close to me because from now on, you will catch men. That succession, that, that encounter... Is a microcosm, Is a picture of how God works in our lives. He initiates it, he starts it all off. We wait. He comes closer. We begin to draw a bit closer to him. He works in us, we work with him. He challenges us. We surrender then we recognize who he is and that's the moment where we kneel or run can you see that picture it didn't depend on Peter meditating and seeking God it depended on God breaking into his life and the final thing I would say with regard to meditation it's great do it, be encouraged, expect every time you practice it to have something from God, to experience God in some way. Look for it, expect it, be encouraged. But God is on the throne. We're seeking the enthroned God, He is still in charge. The final difference between the practices of meditation aside from Christ and the practice of yoga as a lifestyle add-on is that in both of those self is at the center in meditation the biblical way the godly way Christ is at the center the result between the two is entirely and completely different so I guess the answer to the question of should a Christian practice yoga and meditate revolves around what outcome do you want for your life do you want to be centered on Christ experiencing God and filled with his word that you might then go out and when you're squeezed that is what comes out I think I've got time for one more little story just to finish with. It's like an update, really. And it's just before we pray. And it is really a a hope and encouragement. You may remember many, many months ago, maybe even years ago, not like decades ago, because I don't use examples that are that old, but I shared about one of my colleagues who was... uh, a very, very new recruit, a very new soldier. And uh, he was, really liked him, really got on well with him. At the time when I first shared about him, he was about 19. And uh, he got the opportunity to be, I don't know if you remember the sermon, the, the two I see, the second in command on a section. And the sermon was all about the difference in responsibility between just being there, but actually having a role. And I used it to illustrate the difference between somebody who comes to church and somebody who is a disciple of Jesus and has, therefore, more responsibility for their actions and for what they do. And uh, this gentleman in question, Andy, he has given me his permission. I said, I'm going to use pictures of you and everything. I'm not really. Don't don't worry. Uh, But we were on a training course away. He's now, uh, since I shared about him, he's gained his promotion. He's now a lance corporal, so he's a fire team leader uh, in an infantry section. So he and myself, we were going down to Pierbright to do a training course about four weeks ago. It's a sick, in an army van, it takes six hours to drive to, to Pierbright because you have a special machine that doesn't let you go above 60 miles an hour. When I say let you go, it beeps, and then you get a warning. I wasn't driving, so I, I wasn't bothered, but, so it took us a long time. And on the way back, we'd done the course, we were really tired, it was it was mind-numbing course. And God opened up opportunities, and I had not had any conversations with Andy for ages. And so I was able to share my testimony of how I came to Christ. And this never happened before. It's a new experience for me. And that led on to a conversation about God and the devil, and how I said, well, a lot of people misunderstand and think that God and the devil are equal. And actually, God is the one sole authority. God is the creator of heaven and earth. The devil is just a created being. And so we're talking about this, and the conversation's going backwards and forwards, and it kind of finished. And then going back to Google, he was googling, he was checking what I said on Google. Beware of that when you're witnessing to people nowadays. Don't ever say anything that's not real. They find it on Google. But this conversation then went on, and there were two other corporals in the in the car. So between the four of us, for about two and a half hours, it's a six-hour journey. You can't go anywhere, can you? Can you imagine being stuck with a Christian in a car for six hours? I wasn't wasn't unkind. I was very... they, They led the questions I just answered. The reason I shared that, if you're full of God's word, if you're experiencing God, and if you're centered on Christ, and you give God these times of meditation to renew that in yourself. Those things will happen. The scattered communities that we've got will be flowing from people, spending time in God's presence, hearing from God how to do it. When we get it wrong, being open to let God redirect us. When we get it right, rejoicing together in the lives that are being touched. Uh, my dad is not well and he's 76. He's hard to understand, not because he's not well, but because he's from Bristol, so uh, it is a bit tricky. However, he's always been into music. Uh, he was in bands all through the 60s, all through the 70s, all through the 80s, uh, and he still does the same songs just it now he does it in nursing homes rather than like pubs and clubs and so on and he started a thing at their church the church hasn't got many community outreach things they, they haven't got a scattered Sunday equivalents so they don't get many opportunities to reach out and they don't get many people coming in who don't know Jesus but their heart is to do that so my dad started this thing called Silver Singers where uh, every two weeks more mature sectors of the community gather to sing songs so basically they sing Beatles songs in 60s songs and 50s songs and 70s songs that's not old is it that's like that's like yesterday's music and on the back of that they started an alpha course so they started an alpha course for the people that were going to the silver singers and They were disappointed at first because only four people said they were going to come to the Alpha Course. And then that dropped down to three when one of the husbands stopped coming. Uh, And in the end, there were two people that completed it. Both of those two people asked years into their lives. Now, the reason I mention that, my dad is 76. Not always clear to speak, not always in the best of health, but God has worked through him Very limited resources. I would say age is that we know no barrier. We're never too old and you're never too young. But I really want to encourage all of us we need to be continually reconnecting with God to discover how He wants to work through us, how He wants to include us in His mission now because we've been doing it and we know and we've done it before and we've witnessed many times and we've encouraged other people and we are praying for those who are reaching out. So we're all part of it all. But God always has a bit more for us, a bit further for us to go, a bit more that we can do, a bit more that he can fill us with. So be encouraged because that's the final thing. It's not really one of the points, but it's the final thing. Meditation is about more, more of him, in us for his glory.